0: Hello and welcome to another episode of your new favorite podcast, The Local Woman. My name is Sierra and I'm the host of your show. And we're so excited that you've decided to join us again for another great week and another great local woman who we're excited to share. This week, we are featuring a woman from outside the middle Georgia area, which is somewhat of a first for us. Uh, So we're excited to welcome Miss Nisha Hines to the show. Miss Nisha, welcome to the show.
1: you, Sierra. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Of course. And Miss Nisha is from the Hampton Road, Virginia area. And we are so excited to have her because this month, uh, our last episode last week, of course, uh, focused on the topic of sexual assault awareness because this is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And Miss Nisha does this type of work in her community. So we're excited to feature her work, learn a little bit about her work, learn from her work, and also create a network between our community uh, Miss Nisha, would you tell us a little bit about your work with your foundation, GROW?
1: Yes, definitely. My organization is called GROW, and that is an acronym for Girls Recognizing Our Worth. And it is a 501c3 nonprofit organization registered here in Virginia, as well as my native home state of New Jersey. How GROW works is we assist victims and survivors of domestic violence with the tools needed to rebuild their lives after abuse. I am a survivor of domestic violence, and in going through my own abusive relationship, I learned firsthand how difficult it was to obtain help, how when you're in that situation, you don't necessarily know what resources are available to you. You don't know what agencies are in the community that are able to provide that crisis support. So my organization works to kind of be the middleman as it relates to Connecting victims and survivors with those resources, taking a lot of the guesswork out of the, um, I guess, their support and their help and their guidance and working alongside them as they work from becoming victims to survivors to overcomers.
0: Oh, wonderful. That is an amazing work, an amazing mission uh, that you are taking on in your community. And you have mentioned a little bit, bit about what led to the work as far as your own personal experience. Uh, but what else uh, may have led you to this work as well?
1: So that mainly, going through that surviving that, I was in a very violent and um, toxic relationship for five years. Yes. and when I got out of the relationship, when I found the courage to do so, I was struggling. And knowing what I know now, I know that a lot of it had to do with PTSD. There was a lot of unresolved um, anger and just hurt and pain and just a lot of mixed emotions that I didn't know what to do with. So about a year and a half after leaving that relationship, I decided to share my story. And the way that I did it was via my gift of spoken word poetry. So the first time I told my story was essentially on a stage holding a microphone. And what was supposed to help heal me, I found that it was helping other people. It was so many women who came up to me and said things like, my daughter's going through this, my sister's going through this, I'm going through this. Men approached me saying the same thing or saying their sons or their nephews were going through it. So I started getting asked to speak at various uh, places, such as churches and schools and shelters and things like that, and to perform. And I think it was just a different way to bring awareness to domestic violence and related traumas. I then wanted to do more. At the time, I was working for a real estate law firm as a paralegal, and I tried to get a job in the field of advocacy. And what I found was that I kept getting told that I didn't have the right experience because I didn't have a degree. And for me, I'm all for higher education. I'm all for school and bettering yourself and knowledge is power. But there's no piece of paper that can tell you how to survive domestic violence if you haven't gone through it. Absolutely. So, I decided to start my own nonprofit organization. the way I thought was, (laughs) who's going to tell me I'm not experienced enough to have my own organization or I don't have the right degree. So I met with an attorney, uh, got the paperwork started, and my organization will be five years old this August. So in part, it was because I wanted to do more. I wanted to help. Um, What pushed that was, I just remember... I would get messages from survivors on social media. Maybe they saw me performing somewhere at an open mic, or they saw a post that I made on social media. And I'll just never forget a young lady uh, messaging me and saying that she was living in her car with her daughter. Actually, I just recently escaped and the only thing she asked was, how did you do it? So that's what pushed me just wanting to do more survivors, reaching out and saying, how did you do it? What can I do? Where can I go? And then, trying to do this work and getting told I didn't have the right experience. So that's really what pushed me to start my organization.
0: Oh, I love your story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Because first, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing uh, your experience as far as sexual assault. But thank you so much for also sharing that story of overcoming the odds. Often when doors are closed in people's faces, they say, well, maybe this is the end for me. But instead, you found another path. And I love that story. And I love being able to share that with our listeners. Thank you. Absolutely. And tell us a little bit of a bit more about the programming that you all offer uh, through your foundation grow.
1: Sure. So we are a small grassroots nonprofit organization. We have a board, our board members are under seven, and then we have a host of volunteers. All of us work full time jobs. So by day I work um, for a police department in the special victims unit. And yeah. <laughs> you, I was about to say, so, your entire
0: life is about advocacy. Your entire yes. life.
1: Yes. So um, when I initially started my organization, it was incorporated August 25th of 2016. And shortly after starting my organization, I became employed with a prosecutor's office here in the area as their domestic violence victim advocate. So I learned the other side where I was in court four to five days out of the week and learning the side of domestic violence where the victim survivors don't want help. They don't recognize that they're in a toxic relationship. They didn't have to be involved in the court system. And it was just a lot different than my program, where if people come to Grow for Help, they either recognize that they're in an unhealthy relationship or they have recently left that unhealthy relationship. Yes. So how my organization works is... uh, victim will complete an intake application, and one of our advocates will contact them and go over the information that they have provided. Depending on what their needs are, uh, that determines what our next move is. So a lot of times, survivors may just be looking for someone to talk to, at which point that our advocate acts as a mentor, if you will. Some survivors are looking for shelter, looking for somewhere to stay. They're looking for information on how to obtain a protective order. They're looking for information on how to um, get financial assistance if they're looking to relocate or to a new home or to go out of state to family who may be living somewhere else where they can provide a support system for them. So we have done everything from helping survivors with uh, security deposit and first month's rent, helping survivors with a bus ticket out of state or a train ticket or a plane ticket so they can get somewhere to safety. We have accompanied survivors to court depending on what our work schedule is for our team members. We also have what I call staple events. I like to bring awareness in different ways. I know that when I first started this journey in advocacy, I went to a lot of seminars and uh, conferences and while they're all helpful, and you gain something from them, sometimes it can be overwhelming to just hear statistics spat at you throughout an event or you're just walking away with pamphlets. But at the end of the day, two weeks later, do you know where those pamphlets are or do you know where those pens are, those notepads are that you receive that information? So,
0: Are you still I engaging like- with the information you learned?
1: Right, exactly. So we do things such as, as I mentioned, I do spoken words, so... We had a spoken word play called We Need to Talk, and in which a lot of my poet friends slash family, we came together and put on a show, if you will. So several of the poets, we had a poet write an original piece as a victim of domestic violence, another wrote from the standpoint as the offender, another wrote from the standpoint as a bystander, another wrote from the standpoint as society, and we told a story about domestic violence through spoken word with interviews including uh, resources and community agencies in the area such as local shelters who would speak intermittently between the poetry, offering information about their agency, what crisis support is available in the community, where they can get help, and so on. Um, every summer, we have an event called Square Up, Surviving the Ring and Yourself. So one thing that I did when I got out of my abusive relationship is I started boxing and that has been very therapeutic for me. So every summer we have an event where survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault, they come out. There are guest speakers, it's catered, there's poetry, there might be a singer there, but you have advocates, other survivors, therapists all coming together and literally sitting in a boxing ring and learning about domestic violence, the signs, how, um, coping mechanisms and things such as that. And then we all work out together and learn boxing techniques. So the survivors are just left with, wow, I really stood up in the ring and put my hands up and learned boxing moves. And I learned so much about domestic violence and sexual assault today. Um,
0: it's so much I feel like I could go on and on one of my other no please do I'm enjoying hearing (laughs) about this because honestly the visual of it sounds great but I know how empowering that must feel for those women who've in some way felt as if their power has been taken from them to have you at that event slowly give that back to them not only through resources but through actual engagement to me that's incredibly powerful so please don't apologize for having more to share about your work
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, another one of our um, staple events is called, um, we have the summer days ice cream giveaway. So one of the things that I thought about is you have these kids living in shelters. You have the parents living in shelters. And I just remember growing up in Jersey and when the ice cream truck would come, my sisters and I are running outside and running to the ice cream van. So I thought, you know, when, with these families living in these shelters a lot of their normalcy is gone you know yes. a lot of those those happy memories is gone they're just learning to function and you know shelter life and just life has been altered for them so I wanted to give some of that back so every summer we rent we either it's either a snow cone truck or an ice cream truck we'll Rent, like want to meet with one of the companies and just book them throughout the summer and we visit all of the domestic violence agencies in our area. So it's seven cities and there's generally like a shelter in each city wow. in this immediate area. So we visit the shelters in that area and we just to see the kids running out of the shelter and they can get anything they want. So it's was just like, hey, free ice cream. They hear the <laughs> ice cream man coming, and they run out. And isn't that and a nostalgic parents, memory we all have? Yes, right? exactly. And they run out. Their parents can get ice cream or wow. snow cones, and the staff can as well. Gosh. So, And I remember someone saying to me, well, why don't you just get ice cream and bring it to the shelter? And I'm like, well, it's anybody can do that. It's, it's not, not the, the same. same. It's not the same. There's also so much that.
0: dignity in that. Like, often right. it's about um, especially in the field of advocacy, what people are willing to give you. Um, and to me, that's, I guess that's a whole nother conversation really that we could go into about the topic of nonprofit work and how it often comes down to, I get it that it's funding, but it also comes down to what people think that people deserve sometimes. Right.
1: And what you're saying
0: is that they deserve a state of normalcy. And that's, I that's something you you can't pay for, um, but right. as far as having that in your life, having stability, and since they don't have that, to be able to provide this memory for them is is so meaningful. I love this. I love it.
1: Thank you, Thanks. thank you. And that is exactly uh, my thoughts. And another one of our, I keep saying staple events. It's just like in the COVID last (laughs) year. Well, it seems like you all
0: have so much going on though. And if (laughs) if you've been doing them annually, they are staple events and they're probably things people really look forward to in your community. Yeah.
1: And I think my team is like, you had another idea, but it's like, yeah, I do. I I love that too, because
0: again, you mentioned previously about going and looking to do advocacy work in one capacity and being told that you weren't in some way qualified, but look how qualified you are. Like to do the work that they would have needed you to do but also honestly it might have hindered you in some way I have to say your creativity would have almost been blocked Uh, in because you can only work within the parameters of that job now your opportunity and your potential is endless
1: exactly and that's exactly how I feel about it and um, another event we have is called Bridge the Gap and I thought it was important to have conversations about different players, if you will, as it relates to domestic violence. So Bridge the Gap is a panel luncheon. And our first Bridge the Gap, we had survivors. We had two survivors of domestic violence. One was a Caucasian woman and one was a black male. Mm -hmm. We, each of them had also later in life turned into offenders perpetrators of domestic violence Mm. and then later in life turned into advocates for domestic violence awareness. What a
0: cycle. It's so interesting that you even bring that up because I believe that's a part of the discussion that's often overlooked as far as how people become offenders and often it's because
1: they've been victims. Exactly. Exactly. And to have those two We also had a domestic violence prosecutor because at the time I was working in the court system, so I was able to have two prosecutors come and speak. We had a defense attorney. We had a batter's intervention specialist, and we had a licensed professional counselor, and we had someone who had lost their mother to domestic violence. So it was just to have all of these different viewpoints. And just to have a very raw and transparent conversation, and that was one of the best, uh, the best I would say, events that we had because it wasn't your standard. Just okay, we'll just have a couple some survivors talking. While that's Mm -hmm. powerful and impactful, we need to tell all different sides. And I and I, it was just to have someone, particularly a male, who when he was in his 20s and early 30s, was a perpetrator of domestic violence. Now in his 60s, saying, I want to save men from becoming me, you know, or who I was. It was just very powerful. And as of yesterday, we held our first uh, domestic violence survivor support group, which will be monthly. And that is also being held at the boxing gym that I attend. So with my thought process with that is we have all these great survivor support groups, but one thing I've noticed or a couple things rather is one, they're segregated. So you'll have, you'll have a women's support group, you may have a men's support group and that's it. And then everyone goes to the support group. Everyone talks, works out their feelings and then they leave and then they come back. But for me in doing this line of work, Just because I do it in my nine to five professional job and then with my nonprofit all day, every day, it can be very consuming listening to other people's trauma. So I thought, well, okay, why not have a support group where first hour we do the support session? So we have a licensed professional counselor who is in attendance and she co-facilitates it with me. And then for the second hour, we worked out and boxed <laughs> together. So I felt like, all right, we're going to be, get all the heavy stuff out. We got all the heavy stuff out. We cried. We laughed. We said some affirmations after. And then my boxing coach came, was introduced into the room and he had us work out together as a unit mm-hmm. and the survivors learned boxing techniques and we went home and just the messages. Yeah. And I just,
0: it's, it's to me, it also fills that need that you acknowledged previously where victims become perpetrators because you're immediately providing resources. If people are right. in the place to accept those resources at this time, where you're providing when, them with a community, an outlet, both physically right. and mentally. And that's so necessary when people are going through things like this.
1: It's invaluable. Right. Yeah. So that's just, thank you. So that's just a few of, uh, the events and things that we're doing so the support group is called growing fighters and uh i just remember sitting in a ring yesterday and one of the young ladies she was um she was crying and she was apologizing and for crying and i'm just like no you know there's no need to apologize We all have our story the fact that you got in this ring and we're here this is a safe space you know and this is this is empowering so i was like oh wow we're in a boxing ring this is empower this is the empower ring. and yes oh, and everyone wow. started That's, <laughs> and, oh, everybody yes, loves a good so, pun first off yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh so, my goodness uh, When I say all this out loud, it's just like, wow, we are doing a lot. You know, that's something I ask myself, like, are we doing enough? I I love
0: that you acknowledge that, too, because that's something I so want women to get from the show when I invite them on it is that. I am inviting you on it, of course, because you have this awesome thing going on in your community that I want to share, but also so you remember the value in everything that you're doing. Sometimes when you forget, I want you to go back and listen to this episode and remember that moment where you where you acknowledge how much work you're doing and how much more that you have in store for these women who are in your program, but also for yourself.
1: Right. Well, I appreciate it. That definitely it was just really saying it out loud
0: I'm just like oh I'm kind of proud you should be you should be and (laughs) uh, another reason I also wanted to highlight someone from outside our community is almost to create that connectivity some of the the events that you've mentioned we've not done here that's not something that's happening in our community and for people to be encouraged and inspired by your work to me is pivotal to the growth of this movement in other communities. Agreed. Agreed. And you kind of touched on this, but how um, how does working in such a stressful environment, both in your daily life, but also in your volunteer and personal advocacy, how does that affect you? I know you've mentioned boxing as an outlet, but what's, what are some other ways that you care for yourself?
1: Well, that's a great question, because I'll be honest here, yeah, uh, I literally just posted on Facebook, maybe last week I said burnout is real, oh, and man. I've been... Doing this work from when I professionally started working in this field. So my organization, again, will be five in August. And I started working for the prosecutor's office as a DV victim advocate, maybe like within six months of me having my organization and then eventually leaving the prosecutor's office to now working for a police department, which is a whole thing in itself, given the community that we're in. In the climate that we're in, as far as, you know, how everyone sees law enforcement and things like that. Absolutely. And it's just um, having that job has been a blessing because I, I respect that chief of police. And then also because he had the foresight to start a brand new domestic violence program. So for me, it's like playing to have the opportunity to play a, a vital role in the implementation of a brand new domestic violence program with the police department where I've had past experiences with police in different departments where they treated me like, you know, garbage when I was in my abusive situation. Dismissive. where I, They were dismissive. Yes, dismissive. And I said I would never call the cops again. And then I've had no. officers, on the other hand, when I was in that relationship that empowered me, that made me feel like my life mattered, And all of those experiences pushed me in their own way to do what I do. So to be in a position in my nine-to-five job where I'm able to not only provide support to victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault, but also train officers, this is what it means to be compassionate. This is what it means to have empathy. This is how you provide trauma-informed support. It's just, I mean, just the the cycle just to look at where I was, where I am now. It's just, I have no words for it, but that burnout from, from eight to five and you're hearing really traumatic stories. And then on my lunch break, my own clients are contacting me. Then on my way home from work, my own clients are contacting me and on the weekends and I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I'm a sister and I'm a daughter and I'm a friend and all these different things. It's, how do you find time for yourself? So
0: how do you fill all those boxing. shoes? How do you do
1: it? <laughs> right. So, like um, I said uh, earlier, uh, boxing is very therapeutic. I am trying to keep writing. I haven't been writing as mm-hmm. much as I used to, but that was just played a very pivotal uh, role in my journey as well. And I just with think your it's spoken important. word
0: and everything, correct?
1: Right, and right. right correct just to remember to just keep jotting down my thoughts and my feelings I uh, made it a point to get me a a little dog like two years ago and I said oh he will force me to get up and go outside and get fresh air. So, oh, and you know you have up, to send us over a
0: picture because we do have oh, a segment yes, called The Local Pup where we absolutely love our pups on this show. So yes, I'm so excited that I you mentioned him.
1: Definitely. Yes, Bentley is my, my dude. <laughs> so, there. yes, he's him. so cute. So I will definitely send a picture. But it's just remembering that I can't pour from an empty cup. So mm. prayer. Uh, God, just taking time to talk to him and say, you know, just give me the strength, learning that I can't save everyone, learning that my best is good enough, and just learning to take care of myself, whether that's scheduling my monthly massage or going to get my nails done or working out or just watching my favorite show on TV, just remembering that I can't help others if I'm not taking care of myself. Mm. You can well. repeat
0: that a million times for me. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. That, you
1: can't pour from an
0: empty cup. It's so odd because can't. it's something you've heard before, but every time I hear it, it's like a reminder because right. it's um it's certainly something I find myself caught up in, and I believe that a lot of the women, not only who've been on the show, but who've who listen to our show, relate to that. You know, we've got so right. much going on in our daily lives. Not to mention the uh the enormous weight that comes with the type of Work you do, if you don't slow down, you're never going to be able to give that best part of yourself that you want to give to your work.
1: Exactly. And I truly believe your body will tell you, like, look, I'm tired and I'm done. And it's happened to where, I mean, in this line of work and just in any of the helper professional roles, so whether it's uh, medical field or mental health field or law enforcement or attorneys or anything like that, vicarious trauma is real. That's when you're just taking on the other person's trauma and it's just weighing on you and compassion fatigue, which often goes hand in hand with vicarious trauma Mm -hmm. is real. So that's like when it's often compared to burnout, it's where you just, you don't, it's not that you don't want to give it. You literally just don't have it to give. And it did get to a point where I would, I mean, I would get a phone call, whether it's from a victim-survivor that I'm working with through my nine-to-five or through my organization, and I would get a phone call or a voice message or a text, and I would literally feel my chest tighten up Mm -hmm. or anxiety or just, like, overwhelmed immediately to, to the point where it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to call because it's so much. I'm not
0: sure if you relate to this feeling. It sounds like you may be, which is kind of why I'm bringing it up. But there's sometimes when I know that I'm overwhelmed, and then I get a call about something that I know I need to do, and I just shut down. Like I'm just yeah. like, oh, I don't know what yeah. to do. And how. You know, it's nerve wracking, you know, for me in my field, but I'm certain that's overwhelming for you because you never know what your calls are about, you know, until right. you pick them up. So, you know, may I, I just commend you on every level for your sacrifice in this way, uh, because it is a sacrifice almost of your sanity in some way to take on this type work. And I just commend you on every level. Thank you.
1: Thank of you. Course. You're absolutely right. It's that fight flight freeze kind of thing and that it's like okay do i just keep fighting through this and keep pushing there's been a moment with that flight where it's just like (laughs) oh i should just go and do a regular job again why don't i just go back to real estate and that freeze is just like i'm overwhelmed and i'm stuck and i don't know what to do but there is that if i don't answer this call is this somebody's life on the line is this somebody's uh in danger, but I've had to learn to prioritize, especially if it comes to the point of sacrificing myself or my family. You know, so it's, I'm, learning. Yeah, I'm well, learning. And that's also why
0: you've, uh, um, you've expanded your network. Uh, when there are more yeah. volunteers and more people involved, I'm certain that that not only takes the weight off you as far as just the day-to-day grind of your nonprofit and your work, but also as far as advocates and people who are available to be of help.
1: Yeah, yeah, right.
0: definitely. Great. Well, here in Macon, we have um, what we have is the safe line and crisis line um, and our excuse me, the middle Georgia safe house and crisis line. And they operate in a way where if someone needs to call and they're in need of either lodging or uh, or. Uh, a mental health facility or excuse me mental health assistance or um uh, legal assistance they help in that way as well and so I'm just really loving to hear about all the resources that you all have there and uh but I also would love to ask you know what are the things that made this resource so necessary in your area I know with your work as um in the legal field um as far as being in the police you kind of have uh, in-depth knowledge of that what's happening that would make this necessary
1: I think it's necessary to connect with the smaller grassroots agencies in your area, wherever you're from, just because a lot of us are doing the boots on the ground work. So here in Hampton Roads, Virginia, we have a lot of great agencies as it relates to the bigger corporations and nonprofits that are providing this assistance. So we have the YWCA, we have Samaritan House, we have Transitions, Gdh Shelter, Her Shelter, all these great agencies that grow. Foundation, my organization works hand in hand with with providing support to victims of domestic violence. So, but with the grassroots nonprofit organizations, we don't have a lot of the. I don't know. Red tape is the right phrase to say, but I mean that's how I look at it. So, if somebody. If a survivor calls us and they're in need and we've had instances where, let's say, particularly because of COVID, especially when it first came into play, where shelters weren't able to take on as many people because of social distancing or, you know, they weren't receiving as much in donations because of just the financial crisis that the world found themselves in Mm -hmm. due to the pandemic. So we would have survivors, victim survivors contacting us with nowhere to go. And one of the things we help with is emergency placement for at least 24 to 72 hours. So, if a survivor is calling the shelter and the shelter is saying, oh, we're full, or um, we don't have room today, but we may have room on Monday, we're able to put that person into a hotel for 24 to 72 hours while working on getting in, them into placement at a facility that can house them for a longer term. So, when you have small grassroots organizations such as this, or if I'm able to call a church or another nonprofit and say, Hey, I need some food for my survivor. I can just meet that person. You know, we've we've fostered these relationships with other members in the community where it's like, okay, Hey, Nisha, tell me what you need girl. And it's just meeting them (laughs) after work. Hey, I need, I need gift cards. I need toiletries. I need socks. I need this. I need that. Where sometimes it's, it may be a little bit, um, it may just be a little bit more effort needed to get it from the bigger agencies Certainly, and then, yeah. And then also the bigger agencies can't do the work by themselves. So to have the little guy, if you will, I say small, in size, big and heart. So if you have the relationship with the smaller agencies where it's like, Hey, you know, can you guys put out a call for a tolletry drive? You know, we're running low then, yes, that's what we do, and that's what GROW prides ourselves on, that we also work to help the larger agencies do this necessary work as well. So we partner with other agencies in doing car washes, and as I mentioned earlier, with the ice cream socials that we do. I couldn't do that if the bigger agencies weren't doing the work needed to house these families. And so are you all we getting most do-
0: of your funding through donations or is it mainly grant-based? How is, how are you all able yeah. to make this happen? Girl, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> oh
1: <God. we> first- <laughs> Girl. No, I hear that. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> when we first started, it was like, so, self, um, self-funded. So it was wow. like whatever I could do out my own pocket and the more that people knew about us, the more that people donated. So I would say the majority of our funds comes from donations and we are work. We've had like some um, grants that were helpful and then 2020 had some that were like, wow, okay. I mean, there was a, a young lady, she nominated us. She worked for a mortgage, she worked for a mortgage company that years, years, years ago I happened to work for and she nominated our organization for a community grant and that mortgage company gave us $10,000. Wow. And that was the biggest grant we had ever received. That's amazing. But we're trying, yeah. And I was just like, when I called the mortgage company, I said, you know, you guys, I used to work for you years <laughs> ago. Did you know that? But I had a different last name back then because I've since been married and they didn't know. So it was just kind of to come circle back and say, wow, you know, just be able to offer that, that blessing. But we're working on getting like the the grants that could truly make it a difference where I could maybe one day leave my nine to five and just do my organization full time, which is the end goal for me.
0: Oh, this is just uh, this is a, I love this conversation because I am actually uh, talking with a lot of people now who are in the process of starting their own nonprofits. And I love that you're talking about. Uh, this uh, this process, because, yeah. you know, you're talking about how it started as far as why you decided to start your mission. You're talking about how you're getting funding, which is huge for nonprofits. And I believe a yeah. lot of people come in thinking the money just kind of flows in. But what you're no. saying is, you, started, <laughs> no. you know, you you know, it was a personal investment in this project that then allowed you to expand because what people Support is work. They saw your work and they supported your mission. And then those donations started coming in. So you had to put forth that work before people would, of course, give those donations. Yeah. And so that's that's just an incredible story for you to share on so many levels. You know, I invited you on because I, I, I love the the idea and the organization that you were working with, but um you also have a, you're a resource of information as far as tenacity and the work in the nonprofit industry too. So my goodness. Thank you. You so much.
1: Thank you. And I, I really appreciate that. And I, I think that, um, well, I know that when I first started, I mean, I really had no, no idea what I was doing. I just knew I had passion and I had a mission, and then everything else in between I could learn. And for me, it was a lot of hands on. I'm not knocking anyone who uses a middleman to start up their organization or anything like that, but I would just implore anyone who is looking to start their own nonprofit organization or any business to do the research yourself and not just rely on somebody to do the work for you. Because at the time when I started my organization, I was working for a law firm and they also did nonprofit setup. And I sat with them And it's funny how God works because when I was trying to find a job in this field and I was trying to leave the real estate law firm and I kept saying, God, you know, what's taking so long? Why haven't I found a job yet? And then when it came time to start my nonprofit, these same attorneys that I worked for were very instrumental in making sure that my eyes were got it and my T's were crossed. But I learned what it was like, okay, this is what it takes to reserve my company name. Now I got to contact the state corporation commissioner's office to you know, um, send the articles of a corporation. This is what it costs to have the registered agent. This is what it takes to file for my 501c3. And then I see people paying like thousands of dollars to get their 501c3 status. And I'm like, if you go on your state commissioner's website or you go on your, or file with the IRS and it's literally like, I believe it was like $275 for the five hundred one C three application, um, submitting all the paperwork things and so forth, and just doing it myself saves. They- thousands of dollars. And I learned a lot. And, I and these resources over are
0: available state to state. So even though yes. she's in Virginia, this information is easily available yes. in Georgia, wherever you all are listening. Yes. Uh, you, I, I don't want to interrupt you because you were dropping true knowledge. And I am just like, <laughs> yeah. if you could see me on the other side, I'm like, yes, drop those resources. Yeah. Well, just yes. because I think that's a huge part of it is that I do believe people, especially in the nonprofit world, enter in with this idea that just because they know someone who's made it happen for themselves, that it's just so easy, but it's not, it's it's a daily grind, a daily grind. uh, And it's just, um, it's really about, and I couldn't stress this enough. Um, Getting in the community, just being present and helping right. where you need to be helped, even if it's not your organization, making those community contacts and building your network. And it sounds like you all have a phenomenal network where you are as far as... Um, as far as you all being able to connect, and I also love how you mentioned that those smaller nonprofits. You know, we hear about larger um, nonprofits, like you know, the Goodwills and the United Ways and the Salvation Army. Right. But truly, and I know this here personally, working in the nonprofit sector here in Macon, Georgia, it is these small nonprofits that are truly making the difference. Because again, like you stated, they are boots on the ground. They see it yeah. day to day. Um, if you're a police officer, and you know, you're you're kind of all over the place. You know, if you're someone in the legal um, in the legal field, you you're kind of all over the place. You could have cases that um, that focus on one thing, and cases that focus on another. When you're someone who's running a nonprofit that's focused on this one thing, you know. You know, you are the resource. They have to come to you because you know more (laughs) often sometimes. And uh, one thing that I always wanted to happen is, and I love how I say it like it wouldn't be my job to make this happen, but when we were doing (laughs) some of our sample episodes, and maybe it's even been heard in some of our past episodes, one thing we really focused on is seeing a need and filling a need. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what you've done here with this organization. You saw a need in your community and you targeted it and you have filled that need and you continue to do so.
1: Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm trying. We're trying. <laughs> I think you're doing an amazing <laughs> job, and
0: I'm certainly um, hoping that listeners here in Macon who work with advocacy organizations, they take note, but also maybe even reach out to you if they have any questions or want to connect because the work you're doing there to me is work that would be impactful in any community. They are just yes, lucky enough to have you. <laughs> thank you.
1: Yeah. And I was, I, honestly, I was just in Georgia, um, in October I was oh, asked to speak. I was in I was right outside of Atlanta and I was oh, asked that's only an hour speak. away
0: from us about an hour 30 yeah. minutes you're
1: pretty close <laughs> I came to speak about financial abuse at one of the financial agencies out of there um, they had me come out and just talk about financial abuse and this is a form of abuse that a lot of people don't know about. Mm-hmm. So I just thought one day I need to get back to Georgia because I didn't really I was so lost in the airport. I just wanna say oh, that. Oh, hearts feels and the worst. Yes, I was so lost and I was just like, This airport is huge. But um <laughs> I just <laughs> And they're always I
0: changing something. Be- you could come back like literally on a trip and be like, "Wait, is the terminal not where I thought the terminal was?"
1: Like, yeah, I did. And I was like, "When I found out I had to get on a shuttle, I was like, why am I getting on the shuttle? So I was like panicking, like, where am I going? But <laughs> this is just to the other end of the airport.
0: So Oh my goodness. Well, uh, next time you're in town, we certainly would like to know so we could try and meet up with you. Um, uh, this is, I, I, I absolutely love, again, the work that you're doing. And I know there, you said that you came down to talk about financial uh, abuse though. Would you, I'd like for, I didn't want to get too far off that topic because I'd love for you to kind of touch on that for a moment, if you will. Sure,
1: of course. So financial abuse, is prevalent in 99% of domestic violence cases. So we always hear people say, oh, why didn't you just leave? Why didn't she just leave? Why didn't he just leave? And a lot of times financial reasons are the hindrance of why a victim cannot just get out of a domestic violence relationship. So signs of financial abuse include things like if your partner is making all of the financial decisions and does not allow you to have a say so. So, and the domestic violence is so gradual where it's not like you go on a date and the first date, the person slaps you across your face and you're like, oh, wow, this person is abusive. That's not how it works. Yeah. It's an aggressive process. So with financial abuse, it can be something along the lines of, you know, your partner saying, hey, you're so stressed out. How about you not worry about the bills? as far as just the bank account? I'll manage the bank account. Don't worry about putting your name on the bank account because... I know you don't feel like you're good at math or you get overwhelmed when you have to do numbers, so I'll take care of it. And this is just this is a disclaimer. This is not to say if your partner, your man, or your girl, or whoever is balancing the household checkbook, that's not what I'm saying, <laughs> that they're excuses. But if you find where you can't access money, you have to get an allowance from your partner. If your partner makes you give them their your paycheck. If they cause disruption at your job where they're calling incessantly or showing up to where you're losing your job, to where you're getting in trouble at work because your partner is causing a disruption, if you do not have your name on anything. Let's, I've talked to survivors who just do gradual manipulation, they realized that by the time they were trying to leave, they didn't have their name on the deed to the house, the lease to the house, the car, the bank account. They were having to stash money under the bathroom sink in, like, the tampon box or in, like, a a sock drawer. They were being forced to give up all of their wages to their partner. I know women who their partner would give them an allowance every month, even though they worked. They would give them an allowance every month, and then they would count to the penny. Oh, so I gave you $20 to go to the grocery store. You bought X, Y, and Z. Where is the remaining $2.75 at? Wow. You know, um, with COVID, a lot of people lost their jobs. So the money that victim survivors had stashed away for an emergency escape fund, now that money is gone because they've had to use that money to pay bills or to pay the rent because their hours have been cut because of COVID. You have people who Credit has been destroyed on purpose by their partner. So maybe they're racking up credit in your name. Maybe they're taking out loans in your name, taking out second mortgages in your name. So then when it's time for you to leave, you can't get an apartment in your name because now your credit is messed up. You can't get approved for a house. So you're stuck in this situation. And I mean, it can just, it goes on and on where you have people are like, I didn't know that. I didn't have my name on anything. I went to go take, get money for gas in my car or to try to put down, um, fill out an application for an apartment. And I found out that our bank account, my the bank account, my name was removed or it was emptied out and now I have nothing. Wow. So it's just like when you talk to people who their partner is showing up at their job, uh, call, calling over and over and over, fighting in the parking lot, showing up in the lobby now that person has lost their job now they can't make ends meet so they're dependent on their partner Mm -hmm. so that's just a few signs of financial abuse but I mean it's so real I've talked to women where they said if I'd have known me and my children were going to be homeless I would have just stayed and got beaten because I don't have money to leave I've talked to men who the person they are they all of the bills or uh, their credit is messed up or everything has been placed on them to the point where they couldn't afford to leave if they wanted to, you know? So it's just, it's, it's sad, It's heartbreaking. It truly and is. And
0: again, like you said, it starts off so small, like something so minute, so, something you wouldn't even notice. Um, it's, you know, it it can easily, easily jump in there and be an issue. Uh, You know, it started off as just, oh, well, let me help you with this. And now suddenly it's changed.
1: Exactly. I mean, I know a survivor, she, um, her husband, he, they had two family cars and something happened with her car to where it doesn't work now. And then whenever he gets mad at her, he doesn't allow her to use the extra car. So she can't go to the store. She can't go to doctor's appointment. She can't go. And even if he did let her use the car, she doesn't have money to put gas in the car. And then if he's mad at her, he won't give her money for gas and he won't allow her to have a job because he accuses her of sleeping around with her coworkers or her managers or anything. So she's a stay-at-home mom who is forced to stay at home independent on him for transportation for any and everything. I mean, just imagine as a woman, if you needed to go get feminine hygiene products and you have to ask your husband, if you're allowed to go.
0: Yeah, that's, it's so much. And just, again, you, you've mentioned a number of times how the pandemic, and we also kind of touched on this in the previous episode um, uh, with uh, the young lady from the safe, Uh, The crisis line here in Macon, Uh, Miss Annalisa, she kind of touched on this too uh, about how the pandemic has truly kind of exacerbated an already problematic issue that many uh, survivors and victims have been dealing with, or excuse me, we're dealing with. Um, It's just, it's so much, you know, this time, you know, many people have flourished. They found new activities, new hobbies, you know, and new things to enjoy, but many people were not just stuck at home, they were stuck in an abusive situation.
1: Right, exactly. 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 And exactly. honestly, if anyone
0: is listening right now, uh, what encouragement you, would you provide? Honestly, I believe your testimony in itself is an encouragement, but are there any other words of encouragement that you'd like to share to maybe someone who's currently in a domestic violence or a you know situation that you would like to share?
1: Sure. If anyone is in an abusive relationship, whether that's physically abusive, verbally, emotionally, financially, sexual abuse occurs in domestic violence relationships as well. I just want you to know that there is life after. You know, that you don't have to learn to function and dysfunction and that you can get help. You can find peace and the happiness that you deserve and you can pick those pieces back up and start anew, and I say that, I'm sorry, I say that as somebody who has had to do that, as somebody who didn't know how make it the next day, you know, so I would just say, please reach out to someone that you trust. Please look up this local domestic violence or sexual assault crisis support agencies in your area. There are advocates, I'm sure, that are trained to offer trauma-informed and compassionate and confidential support to you, I want you to know that your voice matters and that you do not deserve what is happening to you. You do not have to accept what is happening to you. And again, as I mentioned, that there is life after. And for those of you who may know someone who is in an abusive relationship, if they come to confide in you, I just plead with you to Please listen without support, without judgment. The survivor is the expert in their situation. And even if you don't understand why they are in that situation or why they're staying in that situation, your job is to listen with non-judgmental and compassionate support. Because to admit to somebody what you're going through when it has literally taken everything to admit to yourself what you're going through, that is an amazing and courageous feat. So what you say or do next can really determine what that survivor says or does next. So if all you do is listen, if all you do is Google, which is free, Google (laughs) resources in your area, hi, here's a hotline number. If you hold an emergency bag in your trunk or at your house for them, I promise you that alone will help save a life.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing these resources and this information and your testimony and your journey. Now, if people listening would like to support your organization, because I'm certain that they do after this incredible (laughs) episode, where can they do that at?
1: So you can check us out at org, and that's VA as in Virginia. That has all of our contact information as far as our phone number, our email address, our social media. So, again, growfoundationva.org. You can go right to the top right of the um, home screen and just click Contact Grow. There's also a field where it says Help Grow. If you're looking for speakers, I look, I fly out. And I just spoke the word, and I'm kind of dope. And she loves Georgia. (laughs) She loves Georgia. And I like, I love Georgia. Yes, one of my uh, good friends, she's an advocate out there. So if you haven't heard of her, hit her up. Please do. Her name is Kenya Motley, and she's in Georgia. Kenya, yep, I'll send you her information. Thank you. I'd love to have her
0: on the show. Thank you so much.
1: Yep, her organization is Haven of Light. And see her story her story, oh, my God, is just amazing. So when we get off this call, I will definitely send you her information so you can reach out to her. But, um, yeah, that's how you can find Grow. Please follow us on social media. Please keep up with what we're doing. Um, please reach out to me if you just have any thoughts on how we can better assist victims and survivors and overcomers of domestic violence and sexual assault and um, yeah, that's it, really. I just, I'm just i so grateful that you had me today. Oh, of course, of
0: course. And before we get off the phone, I certainly want to give you an opportunity to shout out your community. You've mentioned a couple organizations that you've worked in partnership with, but is there a favorite yes. place, somewhere you like to go, a friend that you have that has a business? Please take this opportunity to shout out your community now.
1: Yes. So I would definitely like to shout out, one, my boxing gym match bout, Boxing and fitness, just because they've been so instrumental in supporting, grow and helping me provide resources and just safe, a safe space for survivors of domestic violence, and then just helping me in my own survivor journey. I would like to shout out the small grassroots nonprofit organizations like It's Not Your Fault Nine One, which is owned by a friend of mine, Miss Antina Proctor, and. That name is derived from she lost her mother to domestic violence. So that's the advocate that I spoke of earlier who took part in one mm-hmm. of my uh, organization's events. And 1991 was the year she lost her mother. So Goodness. she named her organization It's Not Your Fault, 9-1. So special shout-out to Santina Proctor. Then we have a stars which is held by another friend of mine, Ms. Shahara Pearson. There are so many. Our Children, Our village. Uh, that's by another friend, and just so many amazing organizations um, here. Just it's too many to name. But just also thank you to the nonprofit agencies here: YWCA, Samaritan House, Geneve Shelter, Transitions, Her Shelter, and just everyone doing this work to eradicate domestic violence and help our survivors just find their way from darkness into the light that they deserve.
0: Uh-huh. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. This conversation has been uh, incredible. Um, I've just been so encouraged by your work, uh, your path, your journey. It's all everything that we love to share here on the Local Woman, and I'm so grateful that you've joined us. Um, I can't imagine anyone not li- listening to this episode and not being absolutely encouraged by your by everything you've shared today.
1: Thank you. Of Thank
0: course. You. And we're actually going to go out on the show together Uh, since it's just me and you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to another great episode of The Local Woman. If you guys aren't following us on Facebook and Instagram, I would encourage you to do so because not only can you connect with the local women that are on our show, but you can learn more about their organizations there. That's where we share our links, any videos that they've shared with us. Um, And hopefully we can get a video of some spoken word performances to share as well because I was very interested in that and we barely got to explore it. (laughs) But thank you all so much for tuning in. And I'm just so grateful. Again, if you know any women that you would like to have on this show, just like she's providing me with a connection, I'd love for you to do so as well. I'm just so grateful that you all allow me to come into your earwaves every week and share uh, my passion for the community, but also for the work of local women. Uh, So I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye bye.